following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Come on now. Clap for yourself. Clap for the church. Clap for Jesus. Come on. It's a good day. It is a, it's a good day. Everybody all right out there? You know, you know what Sunday morning is, don't you? It's mind over mattress. Let me tell you what is mind over mattress. It's getting up at 5 o'clock and getting here by 6 for prayer. Oh, you know, we all, we all wanted to fast something, and so many people are fasting a lot of things. Some people are fasting everything but water. I'm not in that group. I used to be in that group. I don't mind being honest with you, but i tell you what I am fasting, sleep. I'm not getting enough. Amen. But I'm happy. I'm happy that this church is a praying church. We have had beautiful crowds. It's been so consistent. It hadn't been 12 one day and 200 the next. It's been a beautiful, consistent crowd of between 125 and 150 every morning coming here praying and asking God to give us great things in this house. I promise you, when prayer is made, things happen. Things happen. And you believe that? If you want things to move in your life, start praying. You all, all of us went to see a movie called War Room, and you understand that there's something powerful about prayer. Not just prayer on the backside, but prayer on the front side. Preemptive prayer is a whole lot better than the backside of prayer when you're in need. You need to always stock your shelves with prayer because God loves prayer. Amen? O oh, thou that answereth prayer. Let's clap our hands for prayer today. I love you. I love you. Now, it's, it's, a, it's an honor to see you, and it's an honor to be able to speak to you on this third Sunday of the month. I love preaching the first of the year because I have certain themes that I like to talk about, and we're talking about a particular theme here today. I want you to stand to your feet all over the building, and I want you to turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the preacher today. I've been, I've been asking for that for almost 30 years, and I'm still asking about it. Because I promise you without him I can't do this, but with him I can. Now I may not preach good today, but I got some great stories, so don't go to sleep on me. Don't go to sleep on me. I got some great stories today. Everybody say last chapter first. Everybody say last chapter first. Wow, what's that about? Well, get ready. All right, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, Pastor, preach the gospel to me today. Let it touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Preach the gospel to me today. Let it touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Preach the gospel to me today. Let me leave here a better person than what I was when I came in. And I love you and you may be seated. And for all of our first time guests, we welcome you today. And all those joining online, we thank you for being here. We've got an overflow crowd and start here today. It's a beautiful time to get your act going in the right direction and start here is a beautiful place to get plugged in, get cemented into the kingdom of God. And if you're making a change and you're a part of Christian life and you love Christian life, we will be, we'll be here for you all year long. I promise you what you meet on that porch and what you feel in this house is not just at the first of the year. We believe that God is, meets with his people every time we get together. And so it's an honor to have you. Have you noticed there are certain habits, folks, or beliefs that separate people into one camp or another? As soon as a certain topic comes up, people separate into one camp or the other on that topic. And I'm not talking about 
politics. I'm really not. For example, coffee drinkers versus coffee haters. Cat people versus dog people. I'm on the dog side. No, don't clap. There's cat people here. Morning people versus night people. We have a division in our house on that. I'm a morning person. I never know when Patty comes to bed many nights. I wake up in the morning and say, thank God she's still here. I could start some serious division if I kept going, but there's one more habit that divides people into separate camps. It's a habit of reading a book all the way through to the end versus reading the last chapter first. You know that. And I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hand and indict yourself, but how many of you, if I'd ask, say you read a book from beginning to end? Or how many of you peek at the ending first to see if you'll like the story? I vote on that one. If it's not a good ending, I'm gone. I'm out of here. I'll put it back on the shelf. I'll read the last chapter while I'm in the store. Years ago, I read a book called J.J. Arms, Private Investigator, back in the 70s. He's a man in El Paso, and it's a true story. It's a nonfiction story about this man that solved a lot of cases. And the man who suggested I read the book was a pastor, and he said if I would read the last chapter first, I'd not be able to put the book down. And so it was right. He was right. I read the whole book. So when I wrote Palm and Willow back in 2004, I wanted the epilogue, the end of the book, to be enticing enough that people who read back of the books first would want to read my story. Would you believe a couple of psychologists from University of California, San Diego, did a study on this subject, and they found that those who read the end of the story first actually enjoy the story more than those who read the story from beginning to end. And one of the psychologists, a man named Jonathan Levitt, said once people know the ending to the story, it becomes easier to process the information and gain a deeper understanding of the action of the story. On the other hand, knowing the ending of the story can be frustrating to some people, and that's the purpose of what we call spoiler alerts. I don't like people that give spoiler alerts, although I like to read the back of the book first. A movie fan in Hong Kong was beaten up last year and the cops had to be called. He probably would have died. When he came out of a theater and began loudly announcing to the fans who were waiting in line for the next showing the ending to the movie Avengers Endgame, which had just come out. Not everyone likes to peek at the ending first. It spoils the experience for him. And that man will never tell another story again. So this morning, the third Sunday of the month, it's a very special day for me. It's Christian Life Austin. The first Sunday we preached here, Emmanuel. Everybody say, God is with us. Aren't you glad that God is with us? He came as a baby and He's with us. Last Sunday we talked about miracles happen, and I still believe that miracles do happen. We are a miracle. God gives miracles. And everybody, clap your hands and rejoice in that. But today, I speak of a mountaintop experience, a day when God gives three of Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John, a peek at the end of the story. It was one of those mountaintop moments, and these disciples get a glimpse of Jesus, His true identity and His true purpose on earth. But six days before that, before this happened, this story took place. Jesus confronted His disciples about their lack of faith. They were at Caesarea Philippi, and He asked them two pivotal questions. In Matthew 16, he said, who do people say 
the Son of Man is. Now the Son of Man is a title Jesus used to identify Himself. He was both Son of God and Son of Man. And then He asked, and who do you say that I am? And to the question, who do people say that the Son of Man is, the disciples answered. Some say you're John the Baptist and some say you're Elijah and still others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Sounds like an answer to your average opinion poll, doesn't it? Well, everybody's got an opinion. But Jesus is somebody important, somebody with a mission from God. But the respondents are kind of vague on the details of what people are saying about him. But to the second question, who do you say that I am? Everybody gets strangely quiet. Nobody wants to talk about that. Do you think that they even made eye contact with Jesus? I believe if cell phones had been back then, all the disciples would probably be looking at their cell phones, pretending they had just gotten a really important text. They didn't want to address that one. All but Simon Peter. Simon would speak whether he had something to say or didn't have anything to say. He was a notorious speaker. He was a notorious action man. He was the only one to speak up. He said, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Boom, it's over. One punch knockout, Conor McGregor last night. I didn't see it. I don't watch that, I don't preach about that, but I just knew he won. And at that moment, right then, Jesus blesses him by changing his name. I want you to hear this. At that very moment that Peter says to him, you are the Christ, you're the anointed one, the son of the living God, the Lord said, boom, and you are Peter. You're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. You see, Simon means read, but it literally means to hear, or he has heard something, and the name Peter means rock. And at that moment, Simon Peter heard the truth from God that Jesus was the Messiah, I want to preach about this, folks, because there's a lot of people that worship when they come to church, but Jesus has not entered that phase of their life yet. They worship worship. They worship the singing. They worship with the preacher. But you need to worship Jesus Christ in your life. That's the true worship. The true worshipers are going to worship the Father in spirit and truth. Because of this, Jesus blessed him and changed his name to Peter which means rock, because the truth of the confession would become the rock on which God would build and is building His worldwide church. Sounds like a great story. It really does, until we encounter a plot twist. Immediately after revealing to His disciples that He was the Messiah sent from God, Jesus told them that He must go to Jerusalem to contend with the religious leaders and be killed and rise again after three days. And this caught the disciples, all of them, off guard. It stunned him, and Peter tried to argue with Jesus, and Jesus quickly shut him down. He said, get thee behind me, Satan, your offense to me. He had just changed his name from Simon to Peter, a rock, and then four verses later he said, you're being used of the enemy. Peter rebuked Jesus. He said, this is not close to what's right. How could that be a part of the plan? But here's what God was letting them do. He was letting them peek. He was giving them a little peek of the fact that there was something going to happen in his life and there's something going to happen in their life and we'll finish that a little bit later. But to the disciples, Messiah was supposed to lead a revolt against Rome and restore political power to the nation of Israel. How could Jesus' death fit into the storyline? And so it's six days later now, six days later from that, and all of a sudden Jesus takes these men, Matthew chapter 17, He took with him Peter and James and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. 
And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before him Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. I love this. The law and the prophets talking with Jesus. And Peter said to him, Lord, it's good for us. There he is talking again for us to be here. If you wish, I can put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered all of them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And the word said, Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came, and he touched them, and he said, Get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Can I tell you, Moses took a vacation, Elijah went away, and Jesus stayed. I want to preach to you that when all the cloud is gone and all the fog is lifted and everything comes to light in your life, there will be one that will be standing with you all the way through your life. And his name is Jesus Christ. And I don't think we give him enough praise in our church sometime. Why don't you give him a praise right now from your heart? The law will be gone. The prophets will be gone. But Jesus will remain. He will. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus said, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Nine powerful scripture. There it is. Peter, James, and John gets a peek at the end of the story. And in this man and in this moment and on this mountain, God's ultimate plan for humanity is revealed for just a brief moment. Now, I have an opinion. It's not, it's not something that I have studied more than just a few days, but I've got this opinion. I've always had this opinion. I think sometime on the mount of your greatest trial is probably the same mount that's going to give you your greatest victory. And I really believe, maybe, I really believe this in my own heart, and you don't have to accept it, you don't have to receive it. But when Jesus in Luke 4 was tempted by the, by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, the second temptation was he put him on a very high mountain, and he said, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus said, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. And then this story said it was a very high mountain. It was called Transfiguration Mountain, but it was really probably Mount Tabor or perhaps, perhaps another, another, another realm of the, 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 the Hermon Heights. But what I'm trying to tell you is that I believe that perhaps Jesus went back to the mountain where he was tempted and brought his disciples with him and said, No, this mountain's not going to be one where I think about bowing down. This is going to be one where I'm going to reveal myself. And there's some of you people who have had a mountain that you can't conquer and a mountain that you can't climb. But there's a Jesus in this house right now that's telling you that on the same mountain that you thought you'd never have victory, there's a victory waiting on you right now because you're assisted by Jesus Christ on this mountain. Oh, hallelujah. Come on now. I feel that. That don't cost anything. That's just one of my thoughts. But the whole human history is pointing in a certain direction. Transfiguration, transfiguration. And in that moment, the disciples see who Jesus really is. Wouldn't it be cool this year to realize who Jesus really is? To know he's more than just a printed page? 
to more than, know that he's more than just a baby born, to more than he's more than just a man crucified and buried and rise again. Wouldn't it be cool to understand that he is our best friend? Wouldn't it be nice to know that when nobody else loves you, he steps up and says, I'll love you till the end? Isn't that a cool way to look at it? I've seen people come and say, Pastor, my family's have turned their back on me. And Pastor, my job has fired me. And I don't have anybody. I don't have anybody to have Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner with. I have nobody. But I'm telling you on this third Sunday of the year that there is one that loves you with a love that's insurmountable. It's an agape love. It's an unconditional love. And he'll be there in your darkest hour. And he'll celebrate with you at your highest point because Jesus is is a God that loves us completely and somebody needs to get excited about that right now. Hallelujah. On that mountaintop, he was God with those boys in human flesh. And John would later write about it in his first chapter in the 14th verse. He said, the word, the word, Jesus was the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of grace, and full of truth. And up until then, Peter, James, and John may have struggled with the idea that Jesus was a great holy man, a great teacher, a mystic, a prophet, perhaps a deliverer from the nation and the leadership of Rome. But in his transfiguration, Jesus erased all those ideas. He was not just sent from God. He is God manifest in the flesh. Come to this earth to redeem his people. It's time that we start recognizing that Jesus is more than just a name that we use. He's a savior in our life. He's a healer in our life. He's a redeemer in our life. He's an all in all in our life. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last that which was and is and is to come. I'm just quoting the Bible, but he is that to me. He's there in our darkest hour. He's there in our greatest triumph. Every one of us need a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's make that happen in 2020. Let's make it happen. I read a story. I recently read a story about an interesting figure in Mexico named Father Sergio Benitez. You'll love this story. Father Benitez was known as a caring priest who operated a, a small orphanage in Mexico. At least that was his identity by day. But by night, the good father was somebody else altogether. Unknown to his flock, Father Benitez at night would put on a showy mask and a cape and transform himself into a professional wrestler named Frey Tormenta, which means fry or storm. You may have heard this story. His life is the basis for the movie Nacho Libre. <laughs> True story. And by the way, I've watched Nacho Libre with my grandkids about five times. But I hadn't seen it enough now that I know what this is all about. For almost 23 years, Father Benitez hid his identity from his fans. The Bible said Jesus came to his own, his own received him not. But to his men as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. He only began wrestling to earn. Father Benitez did prize money to keep his orphanage running. Eventually, another wrestler discovered Father Benitez. He pulled his mask off and gave away his identity. And by then, Benitez was ready to retire from the ring anyhow. Many of his former orphans 
under Benitez's care went on to productive, successful lives. And one of these former orphans is now a criminal law specialist in the city of Hidalgo, Mexico. And that's his identity in the daytime. But at night, (laughs) he transforms himself into a masked wrestler of the same name, Frey Tormente Jr. (laughs) In honor of the priest who fought on his behalf. Can I tell you something? I'm preaching about a Savior that I understand his identity. And I don't mind, I don't mind walking into the ring and representing him. I'll be Frey Tormenta Jr. I'll represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords every Sunday because I want you to understand something in this house. There's a Savior that's greater than any of your problems. There's a Savior bigger than any of your trials. There's a Savior bigger than any of your situations. And he is a God for us right now. I think we need to clap our hands for that story. That's a good story. But in this moment, Peter, James, and John get a peek at Jesus' true identity. He is God revealed in human flesh. And this is critical. That means simply this, that anything he imparts is absolute truth. Jesus didn't just speak truth. He was truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Any plan he sets forth is unquestionable. It's unshakable, and it's set in stone. Any action he performs or words he speaks is absolutely holy and meant to express the heart and the mind of Almighty God. A.W. Tozer said this, that Jesus does not offer an opinion, for he never utters opinion. He's never guessed. He's never, he, just, he just knows and he knew. His words are not as Solomon's were, a sum of sound wisdom of a result of keen observation. He spoke out of the fullness of the Godhead, and his words are very truth itself. Can I tell you, when the Lord speaks to you, you're going to hear the truth and nothing but the truth, and he is God. (laughs) I want this church to embrace the Jesus factor this year. I want us to lift up our hands every time we walk in. I want us to address him. I want us to believe in him. He's our savior. He's our redeemer. He went to the cross for us. He was buried for us. He rose again. He ascended and he's coming back to get us. And I believe that the church that preaches the Christ of the cross, the anointed one in our life is a church that's going to be alive and it's going to be well and it's going to be moving forward and it's going to be full of vim and vigor and vitality and a whole lot of praise. Come on, clap your hands real big. So why? Why is that important? Because Jesus had just warned his disciples he was going to face a brutal, shameful, and public death that his followers, as their followers, would also face the same. Now, let me just just talk just a little bit here, and then I'm going to move forward. Folks, everything is not going to be peachy keen in your life. There's going to be things that's going to come against you. There's going to be situations that's going to rise up. But here's the bottom line. It does not matter what rises up. It matters what you have to go through what rises up in your life. And some men trust in horses. And some men believe in chariots. But we'll remember the name of the Lord in our life. I declare to you that when you have Jesus as the Messiah of your life, you're in a great, great area and a great, great vista of what God wants in your world. Why don't we as a human being, not just collectively with this church, but individually in our lives, claim him as Lord and Savior of our life this year? Come on, lift your hands and say, I received that, Pastor. In this moment, 
the disciples see the mission of the anointed one fulfilled. So why did Moses and Elijah appear in this mountain at this moment? Matthew doesn't tell us, but in Luke 9, where Luke records this moment, he tells us that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah talked about Jesus' upcoming death. That doesn't sound like casual chit-chat. Why would Moses and Elijah be talking to Jesus about his death? Well, I thought about Moses, and I thought, you know, Moses led two and a half, pe two and a half million people out of, out of Egypt to the brink of the promised land, but he didn't lead them in. Moses died, and then they went in. And maybe he was sharing that with the Lord. Now, Moses died out of disobedience. Our Savior died out of obedience. But Moses probably told him, Lord, I know what it is to take people to the brink of something and have to die so they'll be able to go in. And I think Elijah came to him and said, you know what, Lord? You let me, on, you let me live on this earth, and I, I performed 14 miracles and I love the fact I did, but when I ascended, when I was translated, I sent back my, 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 my garment and it fell upon another man and he, he recorded 28 miracles. He did twice as many as I did. And I know that you understand that greater works than these are the church, is the church going to do that you're establishing. And Lord, I want you to know it's all right. We're here with you. But I think it's even more than that. I think Moses represented a law and the law could never save us. And I think Elijah represented prophets. And prophets are wonderful and prophets are good. But we do not serve a prophet in this house. We do not bow down to prophets' words in this house. We bow down to the Savior's words in this house. We honor Jesus Christ. And even though the law could not do it and the prophets could not do it, Hallelujah, there's a Savior that we preach about that can do what they couldn't do. He can take us up out of our degradation and set our feet on a rock called Christ and establish our going. And I'm excited I got a hush because I'm going crazy preaching right now. I love the fact that this Jesus is our Savior. And I preach about him today and I talk about him today. In 2008, two college Women's softball teams played against one another, Western Oregon and Central Washington. And there was a girl on one of the teams. She played for Oregon, and she got up to bat and hit a home run, the first one she had ever hit in her collegiate career. And as she was taken off to round around first base, she missed first base because she, she had never hit a home run, and she got into that jog and forgot to touch the first base bag. And she turned around to touch it, just a simple turnaround, she tore her Achilles and fell down in the dirt. She couldn't get up. She couldn't get up. It was just it was painful tear. She couldn't get up. And there's a rule and a law in baseball and softball that if one of your opponents touch you before you get around the bases, that you're out. You don't, the run doesn't count. The home run doesn't count. It's the first one, the only one she'd ever hit. And so she's laying there, and, and they're in, they're in a, a, the, the enemy's territory, so the fan starts yelling at her, get off the field, get off the field. And about that time, Another young lady from another team, the other team, the Washington team, came over to first base and looked at the umpire and said, can I help her? Can I pick her up and help her? And the umpire said, yes, you can, but why would you want to do that? She's the enemy. She don't like you. She doesn't care for you. She said, but she hit a home run and she deserved to be able to round the bases. She got her up and put her arm. It was on the news. You might have seen it. She put her arm around her neck. And took that girl, Sarah, around those bases. And, and when she got to the home plate area, she handed her off to her teammates. 
and there was a cheer like you've never seen before because somebody stepped out of their selves and went to that little girl on that first base bag and picked her up and took her around and let her see home plate. Can I tell you, even though my soul and my spirit was at enmity with God, I fell down in the dirt. And even though I wasn't on his team, he came over and picked me, oh, hallelujah, picked me up out of the dirt and put my arm around him and let me go around the bases of life and brought me to home plate and said, now it's yours. And I believe with everything that's in me that nobody can do that like Jesus Christ. We can't help one another, but Jesus can help us all in our journey through life. He'll pick you up out of the dirt and set your feet on a rock. I didn't mean to holler so loud there. But I remember times in my life when the Lord picked me up. I couldn't get up myself. And he picked me up. And he established my going. I want you to notice verses 5 through 8 of, of Matthew 17. Peter wants three booths. And then God interrupts him. And when God interrupts you, it's time to stop talking and start listening. And God is speaking. And a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Remember, those are the exact words that God said over Jesus' baptism when John baptized him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The only thing he added was listen to him. Let me declare, and then I'm going I'm to wrap this up in a little bit. Let me declare something to you right now. There is a voice that's in this world that's not the voice of God. The Bible said that Isaac was fooled when he felt of the arms of Jacob because the, the birthright belonged to Esau, the firstborn. But Jacob put hair on his arms and hair on his neck and he walked in there with some venison and he gave it to his dad and he said, Father, bless me. And Isaac said this, he said, it feels like Esau, but it's the voice of Jacob. There's a voice that sounds right in this life. And you need to hear the voice of Jesus in your life. There's a lot of voices. Oh, if I had my phone here, I'd hold it up because there's a lot of voices. Do you know what, you know what an iPhone's all about? It's everybody's opinion. And if you don't watch it, you'll start listening to opinions instead of listening to the voice of Almighty God in your life. And it's not time to listen to voices. It's time to listen to the voice of Jesus Christ. And when they fell down, they couldn't stand it. The glory was so great. But all of a sudden they heard this voice when the cloud was gone that said, get up now. And when they got up, the ministries of Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets were gone. And the only one that remained on that mountaintop was Jesus Christ. Listen, when the smoke is cleared and everything is gone, Jesus will be with you. He'll be there. He'll be there to the end. The only one left on the mountain was Jesus. The only one to look to was Jesus. The only one to listen to was Jesus. And any competing beliefs or philosophies simply disappear in the truth of who Jesus is and what his mission is to accomplish in our life. So why don't you tune out the world this year and tune in Jesus? The world is not good. Jesus is awesome. He's awesome. Come on, clap your hands. Clap your hands. Many of you, Randy, if you'll help me, many of you are familiar with the beautiful singing voice of Adele. She sold many millions of songs worldwide. And 
I like some of her songs. And I'm not, I'm not a great big listener to the radio and music. But she's won about every music award you can imagine. She's an international star, huge fan club. And she has a host of impersonators, probably that rivals Elvis Presley already. Maybe not. But a few years ago, Adele played a little prank on a group of her fans. She put on a disguise and went to an audition for Adele impersonators, <laughs> where she introduced herself as a nervous young singer named Jenny. And the other impersonators at the audition spoke about how they admired Adele and what a great talent she was. And then one said, she was really being slow in releasing her new album. We need that new album so we can learn her new songs. And after all the other singers had had their chance and audition, Jenny, Jenny took the stage. And she nervously cleared her throat and began to sing. And in spite of her disguise, the other contestants all recognized her voice. No one else could imitate that magnificent voice. She just had it. It was one and only Adele up on the stage. And some of the other contestants began to cry. They were overjoyed that they were in the presence of the superstar named Adele. And Adele removed her disguise and revealed her true identity. And to cheers and hugs from the fan, here's what I want to tell you. In this man, Jesus, at that moment on that mountain, the disciples saw the God of the ages. They saw him. And they fell down. And they realized that no one could imitate his glory. No one else could speak his perfect truth. And no one else had the power to restore humanity back to God. He was the it factor. Folks, Jesus Christ will be preached in this house. He is our Lord and Savior. He will be preached. We're going to make his name famous. We're going to trust his name implicitly. We're going to signature everything we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because He is our Savior. He's the one that went to the cross for us. He was buried and rose again, and He ascended, and He's coming back to get us. Amen. And all the saints in heaven and earth are called by His name. And I close today. Knowing the truth about Jesus means making a decision. Now let me talk to you. The apostle wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. Everybody say yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Listen to me. You know how many promises are in the Bible? 7,000. 7,000. I'm sorry I didn't do the math. How many are that a day? Is that a day? But I will have the math for the third service. So you might want to tune in third service. I'll have the math. But some of you probably could do it in your mind. 7,000 promises. Folks, listen to me. And there's not one no. They're all yeses. You didn't get that. I'm going to say it again. There's not one no. They're all yeses. Every promise in the book is a yea and amen. And if every promise in the book is a yea, I think we ought to say amen to that. If every promise, every promise, Every promise, oh, I want to say it, every promise, every promise in the book is yes. I think we ought to say amen to the yes of God. I think we ought to say amen to the yes of God. What a joy. So this year, this year, I'm asking you to put a so be it in your life, an amen, because the glory 
of God wants to come into your home, into your business, into your life, into your present, and into your future. Why don't you include the Lord in everything you do? Why don't you include the Lord in all you do? Why don't you pray on the front side as well as praying on the back side? Why don't you just believe that God is able to help you in any crisis, any situation? I stand here as a representative that God can bring you through anything and He can bless you with things that you think are unimaginable. God is a God that is so supreme in our life. Would you stand all over the building and would you give a hand clap to the Word, not to the preacher, but to the Word today. To the Word today. To the Word. Amen. 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 Come on, keep giving it. Keep giving it. Come on. Keep. That's good. That's good. That's good. Homework. When you go home today, turn to Revelation chapter 19. There are four words at the first of that chapter, and they're all hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's the universal word. Everybody says it the same way around the world. And the first hallelujah is because the Lord has saved us. It's deliverance from sin. Can you say hallelujah to that? The second is for his severity. Babylon is cast down. The Antichrist is defeated. How many believe that the Lord reigns? Say hallelujah. The third hallelujah is for his sovereignty. Heaven and earth agree. The angels and the elders, he does all things well. How many believe the Lord does all things well? Say hallelujah to that today. And the fourth is for his supremacy. He's in control. He rules and he reigns. Say hallelujah to that. Let's say it again. Hallelujah. 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 Go home and praise him for salvation. Praise him because he's a winner. Praise him because he rules. And praise him because he is an awesome God. What a Savior we have. That's last chapter first. We're going to make it, folks. The church is going to be victorious. It's going to triumph. Raise your hands all over the house. Dear Father, I love this congregation, and I thank you for them. And I love the fact that they have gathered together to hear again today that no matter where we see the story, how we read it, that the ending is going to be so champion, so wonderful, so glorious. Give us of your principles. Give us of your favor, God. Lord, we're going to trust you. We're going to believe in you. We're going to cast our fate with you because nobody can do us like you can, Lord. You are our Messiah. You're our Messiah. You're a Messiah. We trust you. We love you and we believe in you. Now bless this congregation. May the grace of God shine on their face and may the glory of God move their lives. May they have a blessed week because they put their faith in you. Give us a mount of transfiguration in our home. Let us recognize the beauty and the glory of your majesty in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Now say it with me, hallelujah. 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 hallelujah.